The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. While you're turning there, Dr. Tim Keller, he writes, On Easter, I always say to my skeptical, secular friends that even if they can't believe in the resurrection, they should want it to be true. Most of them care deeply about justice for the poor, alleviating hunger and disease, and caring for the environment. Yet many of them believe that the material world was caused by accident and that the world and everything in it will eventually simply burn up in the death of the sun. They find it discouraging that so few people care about justice when, without realizing that their own worldview undermines any motivation to make the world a better place. Isn't that interesting? It's the, their whole viewpoint is this, everything is random, everything is chance. Well, if it is, then why does anything matter? Why should I do anything, right? Why sacrifice for the needs of others if in the end nothing will, we do will make any difference? If the resurrection of Jesus happened, however, that means there's infinite hope and reason to pour ourselves out for the needs of the world. The message of the resurrection is that this world matters, that the injustices and pains of this present world must now be addressed with the news that healing, justice, and love have won. If Easter means Jesus is only raised in a spiritual sense, then it's only about me and finding a new dimension in my personal spiritual life. But if Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good news for the whole world. News which warms our hearts precisely because it isn't about warming our hearts. Easter means that in a world where injustice, violence, and degradation are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things and that we will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement victory of Jesus over them all. Amazing how this truth, this understanding of the resurrection of Christ changes everything. And it's so, it's so funny. It's like the thing that our world seems so committed to do is to destroy the foundations of Christianity. And they don't realize that when those foundations go... There's no reason, there's no motivation for us to do anything. And then we wonder why there's so much crime, there's so much violence, there's so much death, that countries want to bomb other countries. We wonder why all of these things happen when we are undercutting the true foundations of what it is for us to be human beings, to be the image bearers of God. See, because in reality... Hope is vital in our day and age. And it has been since the beginning of time. So many have written about hope. So many people have said some of the most grandiose things about hope. What oxygen is to the lungs, such is hope to the meaning of life. Human beings can live for 40 days without food, four days without water, and four minutes without air, but we can't live four seconds 
without hope. It is not the way we deal with our human situation that is the basis for hope. Hope is the basis for how we deal with our human situation. Everything that is done in the world is done by hope. And these are, are, and I can go on about all the quotes that we, we hear about what people have to say about this idea called hope. But I want us to think about this. In 1963, uh, Kurt Vonnegut, he wrote a book entitled Cat's Cradle. Some of you guys uh, remember reading it. Some of us, it was required reading in school, right? He wrote a book called The Cat's Cradle, in which the narrator and the main character, John, he sought to write a book about a day the world ended. And Vonnegut was prompted to do so because of the nuclear bomb that you know, hit Hiroshima. His fictional story deals with the technological ability of the human race combined with its stupidity. Within the story, in the process of his research and travels, John comes across a chapter in a book related to his new religion. The title of the chapter is, What Can a Thoughtful Man Hope for Mankind on Earth Given the Experience of the Past Million Years? It doesn't take John long to read this book because it consists of only one word followed by a period. Nothing. Vonnegut's book reveals what many in our world really think today. There is no hope. No hope for anything. No hope for a future no hope for a better life. There's just no hope. And so because there's no hope, we grasp at anything that promises hope, even if it is no hope at all. And this is the insanity of our culture today. We hope in things that we know is not true, but yet we still hope in it. So many difficulties we face in life so many injustices, corruption with people we need to trust in, deception and lies galore, the war in the Ukraine and the elevating escalation of even more violence, natural disasters, COVID, and it seems like COVID is coming back, and other sicknesses and other disease, problems and even more problems today. Does Christianity have anything to say about this situation? Does the church have a message of hope in the apparent hopelessness? Yeah, you bet we do. It's called the gospel of Jesus. Christ in you is your hope of glory. So let's take a look. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word.
It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It is more precious than gold. It's truly more sweeter than honey. And God, we pray today that your purpose, what you intend for your word, will truly accomplish its purpose today. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to look at today is the unfortunate practice of humanity for all history to try to find hope in the creation instead of the creator. And the second thing we will look at is that the hope we find in Christ is the hope that we can truly hold on to because it won't disappoint. And we're going to see why today. So our thesis statement for today is this. Though sin the pattern of this world and false teachers in the world cause us to put our hope in things that bring no hope at all. It is a truth of the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit that will cause us to find our hope in Christ and in Christ alone for our hope of future glory. Point number one, an artificial hope. It's absolutely amazing to me how we continue to this day to put our hope in things that bring no hope at all. So Paul makes it very clear right here at the beginning of this passage of Scripture, a humongous stumbling block for Christians in our culture today. Because what Paul is saying is that he absolutely does what many of us would consider to be the absolute unthinkable what does Paul do that's so shocking? Paul says it right here. Paul is glad when he suffers. What? Hold on. Stop the presses. Paul is happy that he's suffering? Paul is glad that he's suffering? This for many of us today is absolutely incomprehensible. He's glad that he's suffering. Did you hear that? Let me say it one more time. Paul is glad that he's suffering. My wife wants me to do the dishes. So I go do the dishes and I'm grumbling the whole way. And she says, you know what? I just want you to want to do the dishes. And guys, what do we say? Why? Would we want to do the dishes? <laughs> Guys, come on. You know what I'm talking about, right? It, the, she, she wants you to want to do the laundry. Uh, Frank knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Why in the world? Would we ever be glad when we suffer? This is huge, family. Why would we be glad? Why would Paul be glad when he suffers? I don't like suffering. I don't like to struggle. Why would I want to struggle? And so for Christians today, we get caught in an artificial hope because of what I call defective perspective. This is what we suffer with today on a humongous scale. Defective perspective. We, by nature, reject what's good 
and by nature accept what's not good. And we fight hard for it, man. Now we know, we could be even see that this is our sin. We see that this is an idol, and we will cling to it with everything that we got if we're honest with ourselves. In our day and age, when we face adversity, many of us feel like God is failing us. God is abandoning us. I've, I've had problems in life, and I just feel like God has abandoned me. We feel like God has not kept up his part of the deal. When I became a Christian man, there was some certain requirements that I have of my Lord. If you're going to be Lord of my life, I have requirements for you. Right? I need you to do whatever I need you to do if you're going to be Lord of my life. Some will say, Shane, I don't understand. God can do all these things. Why am I suffering? I, I, I'm doing everything that he wants me to do. I go to church. I pray. You know, I read my Bible. I do all this stuff. Man, I have to sit and listen to Pastor Shane preach every single Sunday. I just need him to answer one prayer. Can he just answer one prayer a week? Why am I suffering? Some will say, I'm disappointed with God. After 30 years of ministry now, I have watched suffering and adversity destroy the faith of believers. And people will say, hey, Shane, what's the number one thing you see in your life that caused Christians to turn away from faith? Suffering. Number one thing. By far. By far. It's, I'm doing great. Christianity's good. I love my Lord. You know, church is good. I love hanging out with the people. Man, every once in a while, we get biscuits and gravy for breakfast. I'd be liking, I'd be loving life right now. I'd be loving Christianity. And boom, struggles hit. And the next thing we know, God, I'm really disappointed in you. I, I, I can't do this stuff no more. You know what? I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't do this. I, I wasted so much time. You know what? I'm going to go call Oprah. I think she probably has a better way. And, and, and walk away. I'm serious. In 30 years of ministry, this is what I see. Adversity with their marriage. Adversity with their job. Can't find a job. Bad financial decisions that God needs to bail us out of. I can't find a wife. I can't find a husband. I can't get rid of the sickness and disease. That I can't find a cure for this stuff. And for some reason, Shane, God will not reward my laziness. It, is that too much to ask? And because of suffering, hardship, tribulation, persecution, family, I've watched many walk away from Christ because of it. That's one message I don't think we're getting. Paul says, I am glad when I suffer. I'm glad when I suffer. People feel like when they become Christians... We're supposed to get a better life. Man, I became a Christian because I believed I was going to get a better life. And when it doesn't happen, they walk away from it. But Paul is happy about this. He's happy. He's struggling. I'm struggling in my marriage right now, and I'm, I'm supposed to be happy about this? 
Romans chapter 5, verse 3, Romans chapter 5, verse 3, we can rejoice too. When we run into problems and trials, for we know they help us develop endurance. Instead, 1 Peter 4, verse 13, 1 Peter 4, verse 13, instead be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. And Acts chapter 5, verse 41, Acts chapter 5, verse 41, astounding passage of scripture here, family. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Man, they were walking away rejoicing because God considered them to be worthy enough for them to suffer disgrace for the name of Christ. That, folks, this is astonishing. Astonishing. And I tell you what, this message is, is, is not what most churches are going to be giving this Sunday. <laughs> right? We were talking about that. I was talking to Eric and Anna about this earlier today. Hey, hey, I'm supposed to rejoice in my suffering. What we want to hear is, hey, Shane, give me the five keys to avoid suffering. Give me the three life-changing principles of avoiding any kind of pain, any kind of trial, any kind of tribulation. Say no to tribulation. Man, that's, that, that's, that's what I want to hear, man. So. Paul says he is glad in suffering because it's bringing good things to the church. Do we not understand? One of the things that we see constant in Scripture, and we have seen constant in church history, and many of you who have been Christian, Christians for more than 10 years can look back and say, all the good that came out of all the suffering you went through. I, I, I always give that, that simple illustration about how much pain, how much suffering, and how much anguish one of my ex-girlfriends inflicted upon me. But do you guys realize that I look back and I thank God for it? Because I could have married her. Instead of her. Paul says he's glad in suffering because it's bringing good things to the church. It was through his suffering. Did you know this, family? It was through the suffering of the apostle Paul that the gospel of Jesus spread throughout the land. If Paul didn't endure suffering, then the gospel might not have spread throughout the land. When we read the book of Acts, we see the many trials and tribulations that the apostles didn't say no to. They went through in order to proclaim the gospel and to build the church of Christ. The reason why we have what we have today is built upon the foundations that was built by the apostles of Christ. And what did they have to endure in order to do this? Phenomenal. When we suffer from what, again, I call defective perspective, 
We see our suffering as something peculiar to ourselves, but do not see how it's helpful to others and to the kingdom of God. In our lives and experiences, we look at what God is doing in as only pertaining to ourselves. Do you know what I mean when I'm saying stuff like that? It's like every time we experience something in life, we always think, I wonder what God's trying to teach me here. You know, uh, we go through a circumstance where we feel like God is leading us to a certain situation. And we go, I wonder what God is going to teach me here. God wants me to move to Malibu. I wonder what he wants to teach me there. You know, and then Frank calls me up and says, oh, I'm picking on Frank. Randy calls me up and says, hey, Shane, I heard you got God's leading you to Malibu. Yeah, uh, my, uh, uh, God's uh, uh, leading me to Bermuda. Oh, okay. Why is he sending you to Malibu, but, you know, sending me to Bermuda? Because I might not ever come back. I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know what God's trying to teach you, but maybe God is going to teach you something and you're going to grow from it. I'm in Malibu, obviously, because God wants me to grow from this. Right? It's always when something happens, we feel like God's leaning us, we hear God's word, doing all these types of things, we try to do certain things, opportunities come up, circumstances, situation, trial, tribulations, all these things. The first question we ask is, what is God trying to teach me? We always think of our experiences and things that we do as God trying to teach me or God trying to do something for me. And that is the huge problem when it comes to our walk as Christians. What if God is sending you to Bermuda not to do anything for you, but because he wants you to do something for somebody else? Is that possible? What if, what if we're there for someone else? Here's one. Norberto comes to Central Baptist Church. Well, because God is leading Norberto to come to Central Baptist Church because God wants him to grow so that he can become a better minister of the gospel. Is it possible that he's here to help me? Is it possible? Now, now I'm sure there's more than that, but is it possible that that's it? Maybe because I was praying and saying, God, please, I need some help. I need some help. And, you know, if you let me be specific, let me say I want, you know, a, 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 a pastor type that's going to seminary. And you've got tattoos all over his head, you know. <laughs> Likes to eat burritos, you know. So we can go to Chipotle. What, what if? What if that? What if he's here? Not because God wants to do something for him, but what if he's here to help me? What if the sufferings and the trials and tribulations and things that we have to endure in life is for somebody else and not us? Is that okay? Is that something that we can rejoice in? Many think that the freedom that we have in Christ allows us to do whatever it is that we want to do. But is it possible that Christ set us free, not so that we can do whatever we want to do, but so that we can do what we're supposed to do? 
Is that possible? John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, said, God appoints his ministers to be sorely exercised both from without and within, that they may sympathize with their flock and know in their own hearts the deceitfulness of sin, the infirmities of the flesh, and the way in which the Lord supports and bears all who trust in him. So maybe times of struggle in our lives is not to benefit us, but it's to benefit others. So we can clearly see that when God's servants benefit, everyone benefits. For Paul, this is cause for rejoicing. It should be well for all of us. Suffering of a brother or sister in Christ is a great source of blessing to the church. For their elevated character is now transferred to other believers. So the more God works in you, the better you are for me. Is that possible? Wow, it's a salvation with aims not for a better life as we define it, but an aim to better glorify Christ and Christ alone and make the lives of others better who are around me. Wow. But as it pertains to our hope today, This is what I'm talking about when it comes to our perspective. Our perspective is messed up. You know, it's like, I don't know if you guys ever get like tinted glasses. Not just sunglasses, but tinted glasses. One one time I was in this phase where I wore these glasses that were like pink, like hot pink. And the most bizarre thing happened. Everybody was pink. Isn't that weird? I just put the glasses on, I look, everybody's pink. So I start to think, maybe everybody's pink. And then I look in the mirror, and I look at myself, and guess what? I'm pink. See, these are lenses that we have. The lenses of self-centeredness. The lenses of selfishness. All of these types of things are there. And everything that we see, we see with this perspective. So as it pertains to our hope today, because of the sinful lenses that we're looking at everything through, we continue to look for love in all the wrong places. For since the beginning of human history, we see the endless efforts of mankind in our own way to establish a basis of belief in some kind of immortality, life after death, or some kind of future state of perfection, or ultimately a bit bit of the good life, eternal happiness, and eternal bliss. But family, in the end, because of our defective perspective, many will find the hope that the scriptures declare, uh, the hope that we find in the scriptures, we say it's unacceptable. Therefore, we search for other options or we create our own. Why do we do this? I mean, it's like, you know, Shane, I I understand you're you're preaching today, Christianity is a hope, but Christianity is hard, dude. It's hard, man. All the rules, there's so many rules, the, all the abstinence, man. I got to abstain from so many stuff that I, so many things that I like. 
I got to endure suffering and persecution. Not just endure it, but you want me to be glad that I'm going through it. This is not the kind of life I want. I need hope that my life will be better tomorrow, not when I get to heaven. I get that. Life will be good when we get to heaven. But what about the hope that we need so that my life can be better tomorrow? So we look for other sources of hope. But in the end, we find that it's no hope at all. And what's interesting is even when we profess Christ, it's an unbiblical concept of Christ that was created by my own vain imagination. I mean, we have popular evangelical preachers telling people that he believes the Holy Spirit is like the genie from Aladdin. Oh, yeah, sign me up. If that's, if that's in fact true, sign me up. But we create these kinds of things. We create this ideology in our mind. We, we have this picture of Christ that we've developed in our minds. But see, here's the thing. This is what we've got to get very, very clear when it comes to life. Because I, I feel like one of the biggest problems we have in Christianity today is we see Christianity as a way of life. One of the many options... You know, there's other options, but Christianity is one of the many options, and today, let me tell you why this is the best option. This is the mistake that we make. Christianity is not an option. It's not a better option. It's not a way to get a better life. It's the only way we can have life. Amen. You see? It's the only way. Oh, man, Shane, you're not going to get on Oprah if you say stuff like that. I know. We do not need to seek a better life because in sin do we realize we have no life. Walking around going, hey, I got to have a better life. When on reality, God's looking down there at us and saying, you need to get a life. We have no life. There is no life. In sin, we actually have no life. We are dead in sin. We are dead people who think we have life. The gospel is not about a better way of life for us. It's the only way we can have life. And as Christians, our life is better already because we actually have life in Christ. But for many today, we say, nah, I hear what you're saying, Shane, but I, I still need more. I have problems here that I face on earth that I don't like. And it's the constant problem we have with defective perspective. I'll give you a couple examples. We feel that riches are the things that will make us happy. But in the end, it could cause you to actually deny God and be forever in, min in misery because of defective perspective. I have hope, Shane, that one day I'm going to be successful. And we feel that success is what will make me happy. But what do you think is successful? I have a friend of mine. He he always defines success in this way. He says, success is people who have lots of money, company that has a steady business, uh, steady income, 
pays back all that was invested. I can go home after only working eight hours uh, with more time to spare that I'm able to build a nest egg. Did I get the respect of people who work for me? I'm able to buy a house for my mom. You can go on vacations wherever and whenever you want. You can buy anything you want. You got a big house with a maid. You got a nice car. You got a nice car. And I would say, yeah, that's nice. But you know, even a drug dealer can fit that description. And even if you get that, if you don't believe in Christ, then in the end, you get nothing but weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because the scriptures say, what good is it to gain the whole world, yet lose your own soul? A small blip in your life of success wins you an eternity of suffering. Man, I tell you what, family, that's one of the things that always got my attention. You know, you know growing up, you know, people say, Shane, you don't want to go to hell. Hell's a bad place. Hell, hell is a bad place. You don't want to go to hell. Whatever you do, you just don't want to make, you want to make sure you don't go to hell. Hell is a place you're not going to want to go. And I was like, oh, okay. But it wasn't until I read the scriptures and you read that hell is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. For me, that's, that was life-changing. I don't know exactly what's going to happen there to make me weep and gnash my teeth. One thing I do know for a fact, I don't want to find out. I don't want to know. I, I just, that, that right there just made it like I am avoiding it at all costs. But, but Shane, I have hope. And hope that one day I'm going to be popular. I want to be a popular person and everybody is going to like me. Yeah, and people will reject others and rush to your side. But they'll do it for a time and then it will fade. And another generation will, ra will rise up and reject you too. It fades. But Shane, I hope that one day I'll have the good things in life. Yeah, Solomon tried this too. If you read Ecclesiastes, Solomon lived the rock star life. He had it all. And in the end, with all the homes, the women, the money, all he could say was it was all meaningless, a vanity, a chasing after a win. Nothing was worthwhile. Nothing. Hope that brings no hope at all. But I have hope that one day, you know, I could, I could work hard and maybe through my hard work and my efforts and my skill, I could leave a little something behind for my children and my children's children. But the Bible says, who knows if they're going to be wise or foolish. Yet these people will control all that came from your skill and your hard work. And what do you get from all the skill and hard work, from the anxiety of our toil? Every single day, what do you get? You get pain, you get grief while you work, and then you can't sleep at night because you're worried. For what? And family, life is just hard. Just living, isn't it? Just living is hard enough, and, and we hope for the better. But then in the end, the injustices in life continue and keep piling on. Somebody is always getting rich at our expense. 
We hope that the governing authorities have our best interest in mind, right? My friend, he works for the government, and he tells me horrifying stories about these additions that are added to these big handouts that's, giving, that's being given out. Family, this is what's even getting worse. I mean, in the news I saw, and I'm, I'm really, I'm just going to say, I haven't, you know, I'm not sure if this is fake news or not, but, it, you know, it was on the news and I'm watching. And there was a representative that came from the Ukraine. So it was a legitimate representative from the Ukraine was being interviewed. And she's talking about, you know, trying to petition Congress, trying to get more help and all of this stuff. And she says, everybody that has been talking to me, they keep walking by and saying, why do you guys need more help? What do you need more support from the U.S. for? We gave you $14 billion already. And she was just like, yeah, all of you guys keep saying that. She goes, when we look at our records, all we can account for is $3 billion. Where did the others go? Where's, where, where is it? Where's the $11 billion? Where did the $11 billion go? And while we're trying to figure out where the $11 billion go, are going, we got social justice leaders and politicians moving into multi-million dollar homes that have foundations that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, which they seem to have personal access to. But you know what, Shane? You know what, Shane? We can't, we can't depend on the government. We, 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 gotta, we got it, it the wrong way. We can... Depend on the church, because the church is going to do better, right? Tithe and offering monies are being used to buy multi-million dollar homes, private jets, and even pay for the rent and tuition of women who these ministers are having affairs with when they travel. Used to pay for massages that have happy endings. We, we, many of us watched this. We, we can talk about this later. If you got questions, ask me. We watched this docu-series that was done, excellent docu-series that was done about one of the largest churches in the world. And we found out in this recent docu-series that the large church is using offering monies to pay off men to keep quiet who were molested as young boys by the founding pastor of this church. So the monies that you're given because these guys are up there saying, you got to help us proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And you write checks and you give them money, you give them money. They're using that money to buy off these people so that they would be quiet, not say anything about the molesting that was done by the pastor. Tens of thousands of dollars, family. So the church better? Uh, many in the world I was watching one uh, one nonprofit uh, leader in the nonprofit organization. It was talking about, yeah, well, what you know, what what's God going to say when He finds out what you're doing with all this donations and all the money that's supposed to be feeding hungry children and you're using it to buy all these things for yourself? You know, what's what, what's God going to say? What's the church going to say? You know what He said? He said, "Where do you think I learned to do this from? I learned how to do all of this from the church, from you guys." Okay, Shane, I thought you said this was going to be a message of hope. If I don't have hope for something, then what's the point? The Lord wants me to have hope, does he not? Yes, he does. 
But there is only one place where actual, not artificial hope will come from. And it's not in power, it's not in pleasure, it's not in profit, it's not politics or popularity. He does desire us to have life. He does desire us to have hope. Paul and Timothy, they make it very clear. It can only come from Christ in me. Christ. It can only come from one place. Come from the King of Kings. It comes from the Lord of Lords. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Sinclair Ferguson, he shares a story. The first physician to die of AIDS, the AIDS virus, in the United Kingdom was a young Christian man. He had contracted it while he was doing medical research, while he was on the mission field. And in the last days of his life, his power of communication had failed. And he struggled with increasing difficulty to express his thoughts to his wife. And on one occasion... Just She simply could not understand his message, so he started to write on, on a notepad. And then on this particular day, all he could write on the notepad was the letter J. And she had ran through his, her medical dictionary, and she was looking up stuff that words starting with J. None of these words were right. And then she just said, just out of the blue, with a big question mark, she said to him, Jesus? And that was the right word. He was with them. That was all either of them needed to know. And for them, that was always enough. Always enough. My question today is this. Is Christ enough for us today? That's the question. Is Christ enough for us today? Well, we're here in church. It's Sunday. You guys had a great breakfast. Some of you are smiling because of it. Some of you are falling asleep because of it. And I know the pastor, the preacher's up here. He's saying, is Christ enough? And you know deep down inside that the right thing for you to say is yes. But my question today is this. Is Christ enough for us Today, I'm not asking if that's what you want to believe. I'm not asking whether you think it should be what we believe. I'm asking if we really believe. See, that's a, the other thing about defective perspective. I don't think in our culture today we do a really good job of knowing the difference between what we actually believe and what we think we should believe. I think it's confused. I think we confuse that. It's like, I don't know if I actually believe that, but I want to. I want to believe that because I know I'm supposed to believe that. Do you really believe that? And if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times we go, I don't know. I don't know if I really believe that. Because that's a big question, guys. Is Christ enough for us? That's huge. It's huge. I'm asking if we really believe that Christ is enough, not should we believe that Christ is enough. See, because in here in the scriptures, there's a wonderful description that 
Paul uses and uses all the times in the scriptures. He talks about the description of being in, in Christ. And in this situation, Christ in me. In is used a lot. If you read the New Testament, you see Paul says this all the time. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, here, Christ in you. In is being used all the time. So what we're seeing here is today, if you are a Christian, you are no longer outcasts. You're no longer alienated from the living God. And we are not just brought back to Christ. We are brought back to Christ in a manner of being so close to be in somebody, you cannot be closer to an individual than being in that individual. We were outcasts, and not only did God bring us back, but he brought us back in a way where it's impossible to be any closer. You see that? Absolutely phenomenal when we see this language, when we see what he's doing here. The relationship that we have is, an, uh, is a relationship so intimate an intimate relationship that we have with Christ that Paul would say that Christ is in us. So vital that we get this. So vital that we see this. To be in Christ, for us to be in Christ, for Christ to be in me, there is no closer intimate relationship than that. And, and, and please forgive me for being graphic, but remember that the the, the, the illustration that God gives us for us to see, to teach us about the relationship that Christ has with the church is the relationship between a husband and a wife. And when you abide in Christ, when Christ abides in you, it's they that bear fruit and fruit will come. That's what happens. When the husband and wife are joined and they are, quote, unquote, in the intimate relationship, children, it's a picture. It's always been a picture. And I know that this is a really hard thing. I get uncomfortable. I'm, like, sweating right now talking about this kind of stuff because you're trying to equate the two. But family, it is, it is the, the thing that we need to understand is consummating our marriage, okay, let me just say it, sex is a good thing. And I got to be careful, you know, in Baptist churches. Well, what would they think in Georgia, you know, talking about this? Right. Yeah, you, don't, you don't be talking about sex behind the pulpit, Shane. Well, I've never been one to follow the rules, have I? A union so intimate, so close. That's the picture. And it's because of this that we can have the hope of future sharing in the glory. We will experience this final glory. Romans chapter 5 verse 2. Romans chapter 5 verse 2. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. And this is the wonderful news. It is a hope that we can only get with Christ and with Christ alone. Colossians chapter 1.5. Colossians 1.5. Which came from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you have heard the truth of the good news. This is absolutely extraordinary. This is absolutely wonderful. 
But I know some of us, I know some of you out there are thinking this. Yeah, Shane, that's great. There's going to be a lot of good stuff in heaven. But what about now? What about tomorrow? You talk about the blessing that we get when we get to heaven. But what about the blessings right now? Again, family, no more defective perspective. What do we get right now? We get so much more than we could ever imagine in heaven. That should be enough for us, but family. But as always, I'm always glad for you to dabble in a little bit of foolishness. What do we have right now? Do you realize, Christian, today, you already have more than we could have ever asked for. We already have more than we could ever ask for. Right now, Christian, right now, Shane, I get the blessings I get in heaven, but what about the blessings I get right here? What about the blessings that I have right now? Are you ready for this? You got your pen and your paper? Get ready. Here it comes. Take a picture. What do we have right now? Let me tell you what we have right now. Peace that transcends all understanding. We are right now justified and called holy by the Holy One of Heaven. We are right now a child of God and a co-heir with Christ. So we are right now positionally a king and queen of the kingdom of heaven. We are right now forgiven. God has separated us from sin as far as the east is from the west. Right now we are in Christ. And if you abide in him and he abides in you, there's going to be much fruit. We are right now filled with the Holy Spirit who will bear fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness faithfulness self-control we are right now saved from outer darkness we are the in the light as he is in the light i am my beloved's and he is mine i am right now redeemed from the hand of the enemy i am right now a partaker of his divine nature i am right now a new creation and delivered from the powers of darkness we are right now able to do all things through christ who gives me strength we are healed by his stripes we are now right now more than conquerors we are right now the righteousness of god in christ jesus we are right now redeemed from the curse of the law we are right now salt and light in this world. We are right now sons of God. We are right now the bride of Christ. We are saved right now by grace. He has given us right now his grace. And right now at this moment, his grace will be sufficient for us. And I stopped there only because I ran out of breath. Family, there's so much more there's so much more that we have right now because right now we have all that we need for life and godliness we have lots to help us rid ourselves from defective perspective wisdom is better than rubies and we've got a whole book full of them Better is a little with righteousness than much wealth with injustice. Better to be poor and, dis and honest than be dishonest and rich. Man, did you know that it's better to have a bowl full of vegetables with someone you love than steak with someone you hate? All of these and more are here for us now. Right now. 
because of what it means for Christ to be in us and for what it means for us to be in Christ. This is the beauty of the gospel. It is in our lives, sin in our lives that cause us to have defective perspective and desire all that will not give us hope. It's sin and defective perspective that will cause us to be blinded to all of the wonderful blessings that we have from the Lord right now. But we can be free from sin and have the power to overcome it because of the work that Christ did on the cross. Yeah, but Shane, I, I ain't got stuff, man. You know, I used to watch that show, The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, man. Well, for those of you that are my generations, I used to watch Cribs, man. I, I, I need me some of that. Let me tell you something. If you are a Christian today, all that the Father has is yours. We don't need we don't need to squander over this. We don't need to fight over this. We don't need to whine and pine for all of this stuff. Solomon said, if you got all this stuff, it's not going to bring you happiness anyway. But we have more than we can ask for. We have more because we are in Christ. Right now, we can be free from sin and overcome it because of the work that Christ did on the cross. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, this is awesome. Right now at this moment, I can say beyond the shadow of a doubt because my God said it and he's a God that does not lie. He said, I am forgiven. And that's worth more than all the money and gold and diamond and silver in this world. All of this is possible because of the work that Christ had done on the cross. On Good Friday, all those many centuries ago, he declared it. He said, it is finished. And you know what? We know that God agreed. God the, God the Father up in heaven said, yeah, I agree it's finished. Do you know how we know that God agreed that it was finished? Because Jesus rose from the grave. Today we can rejoice. Christ not only lives, Christ lives in me. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.